You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. Well, we're going to be in the book of First Peter, which is in the New Testament, second part of the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you turn there now? They will come up on the screens behind me as well. Um, we're going to just be reading one verse from, from First Peter today. Before we get there, after the service today... You might well be uh, at your hospitable best, looking out for new people, looking out for people that you can go and welcome. And if you do that, you'll get into a conversation, and I can pretty much guarantee that within the first two or three sentences, you will ask the question, so what do you do? That will be probably one of the first questions you'd go to, what do you do? The reason you'll ask that is because we in this country, maybe in many other countries as well, we tend to define ourselves by what we do. That kind of brings definition to us, it brings value to us, that's how we, if someone was to say, who are you, that's the first question, the first thing you'd respond with is what you do. So whether you're working, whether you're um, you know, staying at home as a parent, whatever it might be, you, you'll probably say one of those things in response to who are you. And there's a, that's all very well and good, except for when maybe you're not in work for a prolonged period of time, and uh, it's pretty actually depressing to say, well actually I'm, I don't do anything. Um, or it might be that you retired and you say, well, I'm actually not working any longer. Or maybe you're not very good at the thing you do. And actually, so to define yourself by the thing that you do is actually pretty depressing. I um, came across some research recently which was looking at um, the issue of identity crisis in retirement. That actually a number of people, when they come to their retirement, having been defined by what they do for uh, 40 or 50 years, come to retirement and then are suddenly lost as to, well, who am I? Because the things that once defined me, I no longer do, and I'm not really sure what I do anymore. And there can be a real identity crisis. And um, just to show you how much time I have on my hands, I visited revolutionizedretirement.com. And one of their top tips to avoiding identity crisis is to simply do more stuff, to take on uh, new hobbies, whether it be uh, mountain climbing or sailing or traveling the world. These then can become your identity. You could become a mountain climber or a globetrotter or a sailor or an expert gardener. Now, that's all very well and good if you have the means to do those things. You may not have the finances to do those things or not the physical means to do those things. And so, therefore, if you don't have those means to do those things, what then becomes of you? How do you then define yourself? It can be a real problem and people become quite depressed as they realise, actually, uh, the things that I've defined myself before are no longer valid and I'm no longer really quite sure who I am. Well, thank God that he has an identity for us that is removed from what we do most of the time. Removed from what we do for a living or what we do with the majority of our hours in a day. He has identity for us. He has called us certain things and it's those things that actually then impact what we do. It's not what we do that defines who we are. It's who we are that defines us and actually then leads to what we do. Does that make sense? So we're going to look at a couple of these things together in 1 Peter and chapter 2. Peter writes this in verse 9, But you are a chosen race. We're going to look at this in a couple of weeks' time. Chosen race. You know, the, in the Old Testament, the uh, people of God were defined by their ethnicity. You, if you were a Jew, then you were part of God's people. Now it's no longer the case. It's those who have placed their faith in the chosen one, in Jesus who are now part of God's chosen race. It's actually people of all races and ethnicities, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more in a couple of weeks' time. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvellous light. So we are going to be looking at this 
theme of being a royal priesthood today. We've been looking at different metaphors for the church over the last few weeks. We've looked at the bride of Christ and the body of Christ and the family of God. And this week we're looking at a royal priesthood. Now tomorrow it's Halloween, but more significantly for us, it's Reformation Day. And it's Gary's birthday. It's Reformation Day and Gary's birthday. And we are going to be celebrating that actually a a huge, uh, I suppose, spiritual revolution happened because what happened about 400, well, 499 years ago tomorrow, next year is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. What happened 499 years ago was a guy called Martin Luther, this guy with a funny hat on the screen here, he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg in Germany in protest at the then very corrupt um, Roman Catholic Church who were doing all kinds of corrupt things that were completely against what we read in the scriptures. One of the things that he was particularly mad about was this issue of indulgences, whereby people could pay a priest or could pay the Pope a lot of money in order to have their sins forgiven, right? And this money was going to fund the building of St. Peter's Basilica, which is a very beautiful and magnificent building. But when you kind of realize how it was built, it's kind of a bit uh, uh, distressing, really. But people would pay, maybe for themselves, maybe they've done something wrong. And in order to, to know that their sins were forgiven, they would pay a priest to um, kind of get before God on their behalf and to see their sins dealt with. Or they would pay the Pope directly. And they could even um, go and say, well, you know, I had a friend who died or a family member who died. I'm not quite sure where they are. Can you maybe, um, you know, say a prayer for me? I'll pay you a bit of money. Say a prayer for me and then maybe I can be sure that they're in heaven. Um, this, this, all this kind of stuff was going on. It was very corrupt and very wrong. And Martin Luther was one of a number of people who got increasingly cross with this and saw that what was happening was not anything to do with the scriptures. And he protested against this. And it really kick-started as I said, a spiritual revolution that has absolutely changed the world. Um, So much of our country uh, has been impacted by this Reformation. And Peter is writing, as these verses we've just read, writing to the early church, a ragtag bunch of people from all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities. And he says, you are a royal priesthood. He's saying, you are all priests. He's not just writing to the church leaders. Um, This letter that we just just read from together This would have been read out in a church gathering like this. And he's saying, you are all priests, not just the leaders, not just a a special few people in the church who maybe had some, you know, uh, a good track record of doing some good stuff. No, he's saying, you are all priests. You are royal priesthood. No man has a right to exclusively call himself a priest. We are all priests. There's only one priest who can, for all time, deal with our problem which is that we are separated from a holy God because of our sin only one priest can do that and that's the great high priest and his name is Jesus and yes Jesus has put leadership in his church but leaders in churches are never to be priests that's not what they're to be we don't uh, as pastors here we don't uh, represent you before God we don't uh, we're not able to forgive sins only God can do that and he's sent his son to be the great high priest who could make a way for us. So let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy and chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul writes this, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There's one mediator, one go-between, one person who's able to draw God and man together, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. That is what we celebrate each and every Sunday when we come together. Jesus is the great high priest. He was the one who was sacrificed, not 
Uh, he didn't sacrifice a bull or a ram as they would have done in the Old Testament times, nor did he offer an indulgence for some money. No, he gave himself. It was the only sacrifice that would satisfy his father. This is good news for us today. This is good news for us because we cannot save ourselves. Only one person can. It's Jesus. There's no uh, time you know, working for charities, volunteering, giving money. None of that can save us. Only Jesus and faith in him. It says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12, In him and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. That is an amazing verse. We can not, it's not that we're just acceptable to God. No, we can approach him with freedom and confidence. In him, wrapped in his righteousness, joined to Jesus through faith in what he's done for us, we can approach God every single time with freedom and confidence. That should change the way that we live our lives, that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. And I know that there's not people here looking to me or any of the other pastors here to kind of be uh, your priests, but... The thing is that we can actually try to be our own priests. So when we kind of know that we've done something wrong that offends God, we can try and be our own priests. We can try and do some things that we think will kind of work our way back into God's good books, whatever it might look like. We can actually try and atone for our own sins. But no, it's actually through faith in Jesus, in him, that we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So the role, the role of the high priest is done. Jesus, Jesus Christ on the cross bearing our sin and shame, taking away the the punishment that we deserved. His role is done. It is finished. There's no role for a high priest anymore. There's no need for anyone to make sacrifices in a temple for us. There's no need for any more bulls or rams to die on our behalf. No, Jesus Christ has laid down his life. But there is a sense in which there is a priestly duty for us to do still. And we're going to unpack that together. It's not to atone for our sin. It's not to atone for the sins of others. But... As we've seen in this verse from First Peter, it's in declaring the excellencies of this one great high priest whose name is Jesus. That is our role as priests in the household of God. We are to declare his excellencies, the one who's brought us out of darkness and into his glorious light. We declare his excellencies. That's what our role is. That's our job. We've made acceptable before God. We can boldly approach and now we boast in what Jesus has done for us. Amen. I want to read to you from uh, Charles Spurgeon, who uh, was a pastor a couple of hundred years ago. He said, If truly converted to God, a man, though barely able to read his Bible, is a priest unto him, because he has a new heart and a right spirit. He may never mount a pulpit nor preside at a church meeting, but he may be a priest unto God. His only pulpit may be a cobbler's stall, or his only platform for witnessing to Christ may be behind the counter or in the factory, but he is a priest for all that. So how are we to prepare ourselves for these priestly duties? Well, I want to share this morning. There's two things that God has done for us that we couldn't play any part in. And there's two things that we need to play our part in. The first is that we have been cleansed. And we're going to look at Leviticus in chapter 8. It's not often we preach from Leviticus. Um, most of us, if we attempt a Bible reading plan a couple of months in, we'll get to Leviticus and we'll think, what am I doing here? This is so weird. It's so hard. It's hard work. It's hard to understand. You just need to understand one very simple thing about Leviticus is that God is holy and that in the Old Testament times, people had to go through a, a lot of rituals in order to just to be able to approach him. And so Leviticus is really kind of full of very arduous and uh, you know, complex rituals whereby the priest would be able to atone for the sins of the people uh, temporarily. 
And it's that that we find ourselves in. So we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapter 8. We're going to look at four things. Two things that God has done for us and two things that we need to seek to be uh, uh, opening ourselves up to as well. Firstly, the priests in the Old Testament, they were cleansed. We look at verse 6. It says, Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. There was a cleansing by water, but there was also a cleansing by blood. Again and again in this chapter, there was uh, a cleansing by blood. There was uh, Aaron and his sons. They would put, a, put their hands on a, a ram. They would confess their sins, and then this ram would be killed, and the blood would be sprinkled all over the altar and upon the vessels in the sanctuary, and then upon Aaron and his sons himself. It was a very bloody affair. For us, we have been covered in the blood of Christ. We've when we've placed our faith in Jesus, it's like, like Aaron and his sons placing that, their, their hands on that ram that was going to be slaughtered in their place. We've placed our faith in Jesus and acknowledged that we needed a sacrifice on our behalf, that he needed to die to pay the price for our sin, and that actually our, we have been cleansed by his blood. If you don't know Jesus here this morning, you need to know, first, you need to know his forgiveness. That's your greatest need. Your greatest need is forgiveness. It's to be cleaned up. It's to know that someone else has taken the blame for you. (coughs) Jesus Christ has done it on the cross. The second thing is the priests were clothed. We look in verse 7. He put the coat on him and he tied the sash around his waist and he clothed him with the robe. And there's a whole intricate uh, explanation of the various clothes these priests had to wear. They were clothed in order to be able to stand and appear before God. You and I, friends, if we know Jesus, we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We've been given a robe upon our faith in Jesus. We've been given this robe to wear that is the perfect record of Jesus. Jesus Christ didn't sin. He obeyed God completely. He didn't uh, cave into temptation. How often, even today or this weekend, how often have we caved into temptation? Jesus never caved. He was resolute in, in his obedience to his Father. And his perfect record, this is such good news, you need to listen up. His perfect record, if you know him and you believe in him, it's been accredited to your account. It's like he had this righteous robe, as it were, and it's been placed on you forever, and it's yours. And that doesn't change. That is such good news. It's amazing news. And it it absolutely, when we take this to our heart, it transforms our whole lives. It transforms our whole walk with God when we realize we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. <clears throat> we can come before God. It says in uh, Hebrews and chapter 10 and verse 25, it says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It says, Don't give up meeting together. Don't stop going to church. Now, I know I'm preaching to the converted here because you're in church, but it says, Don't give this up. Why? Well, this is in the context of the writer to the Hebrews explaining all that I've just explained, that we're now clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that he's our high priest, that he is the one who's atoned for our sins. Why do we need to meet together? Because we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded of this truth because we forget it. We go and try and become our own high priest. We try, we, we, or, we, or we run and hide from God in our shame because our, our sin leads us to think, well, we can't come before God. We can't uh, walk before him in freedom and confidence When we come together in contexts like this, when we open up the word together, when we're in our small groups, we need to see and be reminded of this truth that he has made a way for us. He's made us acceptable by the blood of Jesus, by him 
taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. We need to be reminded of that. So that's why we don't, that's why we don't neglect meeting together. That's why when we're in town, we come to church. Okay, it's not so that we can somehow try and um, maintain our standing before God. No, it's so that we can actually be reminded that it is maintained by Jesus. Because he doesn't change. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we've got his righteousness. So we need to be reminded of that. So, we've been cleansed, we've been clothed, and now uh, the, the priests we see here, were, they were anointed. In verse 12, he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him. So they were not only cleansed and clothed, but they were anointed. They were empowered with this symbolic act of the oil being poured on their head. It was like they were being empowered for their priestly duties, that they were actually able to go about all that they had been asked to do. We, likewise, need the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not of oil on our head, but of the Holy Spirit and his presence and power in our lives. We need to have that anointing. We need to go after it. We need to put ourselves in a place where we are receiving from God. It says in Ephesians, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something there that we actually have to do. There's something there that we actually have to be deliberate about. It doesn't just happen to us. It says, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We actually have to open up our lives to the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We need his power, don't we, right? I can't do it on my own. I don't know about you. I can't do it on my own. I need the Holy Spirit's power to be able to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. I need his power. I need the Spirit's anointing in my life, and you do too. What can we not do when the Spirit is within us? What can we not do? What exploits for God can we not do when we've got the Holy Spirit within us, the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave living within us? I just want to ask us this morning, are we, are we putting ourselves in the, in the way of his anointing? Are we, are we asking God, come and fill me, come and flood my life again? Are we asking for that filling, that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? So the priests were anointed and then finally they were consecrated. And this is a really curious verse in verse 24. Then Moses presented Aaron's sons and put some of the blood, that's the ram's blood, on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. How weird is that? It's really strange. This is talking about consecration. It's talking about the priests, their bodies were consecrated to God. That simply means to set something aside for a holy purpose. They were being set aside with the blood on their earlobes and on their thumbs and on their feet. It was like they were presenting their whole body and saying, God, this is in service of you. We need to present our lives in the same way before God. Not with blood. Don't need to get a ram and kill it. But we say to God, my whole body I want to offer up as a living sacrifice to you. I want everything. I don't want to lend my ear to all kinds of gossip and crude stuff. I don't want to lend my hands to doing stuff that's evil. I don't, want to take, I don't want my feet to take me anywhere that will not bring you glory. We offer ourselves, we consecrate ourselves in the same way. We say, God, I'm all yours. I'm, I'm getting up on the altar myself. I'm saying, I want to be a living sacrifice to you. I want to give up everything to you. So the priesthood, this, this declaring the excellencies of Jesus, this in, in the view of the fact that we've been cleaned up, we've been uh, clothed, we've been anointed, we, we offer ourselves daily. It's a daily thing. It's a perpetual thing. It's a continual thing. We never cease to serve God. Even when we retire, we never cease to serve God. 
We never cease to uh, be priests unto him. We never cease to be the ones who declare the excellencies of Jesus. Whether we're eating or drinking, we do it all to the glory of God. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10. So you might say, well, how can this be done? Do we need to go and live in a monastery somewhere to be able to avoid kind of all the unholiness in the world? No, no, no. That's unholiness. To become a hermit, that's not at all what God wants for us. I want to read to you from uh, Charles Spurgeon again. He, he said, Christian holiness, it's social. We're to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We are to be in the world, though not of it. Our priesthood exercised in the street, in the shop, the family, and at the fireside, by day and night, to offer up prayers and thanksgivings unto God, and so perpetually be a priest. We're declaring his excellencies day and night, in the way we live, in the way we speak. We're wanting to point people to this great high priest. We want to point people to him as the one who's made a way. If you're passionate about something, you don't need someone to twist your arm in order to speak about it. So about two or three weeks ago, I went for a haircut, and the hairdresser said to me, uh, are you into cars? That uh, wasn't his first question. He asked me what I'd like to have done to my hair first. And then he said, are you into cars? And I, you know, although I'm very manly, guys, you know, I'm just, I'm just not into cars, all right? You know, uh, and uh, I said, uh, yeah, kind of, because I didn't want to shut the conversation down straight away. That's what we do in, in like, that's the kind of British kind of politeness. Yeah, kind of, yeah. I into cars. And he said, what do you drive? And I said, well, I drive a, a Kia Sedona. <laughs> and uh, that's not really the kind of car that teenage boys have up, have up on their walls when they're kind of uh, dreaming about the car they want to uh, uh, own one day. And uh, without me asking him to, he just, just went off on a passionate kind of spiel about how much he loves BMWs. It, was, uh, it really was... I, I didn't ask him, I didn't say, are you into cars at all? No. He just went off on one and started talking about the fact that he just bought a new car and how beautiful it was and the different specifications of it, how it could go from 0 to 60 in 7.5 seconds and how, I don't know how hairdressers uh, can, can afford such a car. I might actually have to uh, get a change of profession. And um, he, he was talking about how much horsepower it had and so on and the fact that he and his girlfriend were saving up for a, a deposit for a house together, but actually this trumped that and and they didn't actually get a house together in the end they got this car she's still with him I think man you've got a loyal loyal lady there and uh, he just went off on one and and was talking about cars for ages and how he was saving up for his next one and so on I didn't ask him to do that I didn't ask for his opinion on cars it was simply that he was passionate about cars and it just oozed out of him he, he was so uh, fascinated by BMWs that uh, to anyone who asked, he was going to have to tell everyone about his BMW. If I asked you to talk about your passion, it wouldn't be very hard for you to do that. If there was something that you're passionate about, it wouldn't be burdensome for me to ask you to share about it. It would just flow naturally out of you. But sometimes when we're talking about declaring the excellencies of Jesus, that can sound like a burden. It can sound like something like, oh, I don't really, I don't really feel I can do that. But actually, if he becomes our greatest passion, we will find it easy to declare his excellencies. We'll find it easy to live a lifestyle that declares how great he is. You know, I think Tim shared last year in in a message that he shared that our hoses are always on. It's like we've got a garden hose of worship. It's always on. It's either pointed at the grass or at the fence, or it's pointed at Jesus or something else. If we're worshipping Jesus and passionate about him, then what will flow out of us is naturally passion for Jesus. It will just flow out of us. I've got a friend who 
uh, I've been um, praying with and um, talking with for some time. And, and recently, he's really just, his life has been changed, really. He was, a year or so ago, was pursuing all kinds of other things. And now he's so passionate about Jesus that he said to me the other day, I saw him, he said, all I want to do is spend time with God or tell other people about him. That's all I want to do. This was a guy who, who over a year ago was pursuing all kinds of really damaging stuff. And all he wants to do now is tell people about Jesus and, or spend time with him. And so I was running with him. Not, uh, that sounds very impressive, right? Because I don't really go running much, and he does. And I was running with him recently and uh, trying to keep up. And we were running in the park near my house, and there was some guys smoking drugs. It was late at night. And he was just passionately saying, there's nothing stopping us from going and talking to those guys about Jesus. There's nothing stopping us. And you know when you, you hear a voice in your head, and you, you know it's probably God, but you don't want it to be. <laughs> it's a bit annoying. I felt God say to me, there's nothing stopping you. There's nothing. So he's right. There's nothing stopping you. So I said, okay, well, let's go and do it. And so we went back to his house, got some Bibles, and we went and spoke to these guys. And just what oozed out of my friend was passion for Jesus. He hasn't got all the answers. He might even want to hone the way he approaches people and his technique, I suppose. But all he wanted to do was tell these people about how good Jesus is. And it was so, such a challenge and an encouragement to me that actually what we love, we talk about. What we love, we want to we wanna tell others about. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the, um, the Chronicles of Narnia and loads of other uh, great uh, books, he said this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is or to come suddenly upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. And he goes on to say this, the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, which is a fancy word for a summary of faith, says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. The more we enjoy him, the more he'll be glorified. Do you understand that? Sometimes you hear a song and you just, you have to show someone else this song. I'll be, you know, listening to a song on the radio and get home and say, Sarah, you've got to listen to this song. Let's get it online. Let's listen to it now. It's amazing. Or a film that you've watched. You think, someone, you have to watch this film. If you haven't got anyone to say that to, the enjoyment isn't complete. And this is what C.S. Lewis is saying here. Actually, that as we enjoy God, he's inviting us to enjoy him. That's the way in which we glorify him. The way in which we'll declare his excellencies is if we're enjoying him. If we're really coming to see these glorious truths that we've read about together, that we've heard coming through during our time of worship, if we're really taking these to heart and taking these to mind and chewing on them and enjoying God through them, then we're going to just spill over with passion for him. And I want to get back to the place where I was because when I first understood this good news all I wanted to do was tell people about Jesus. I remember being on the bus coming back from my sixth form college and all I wanted to do was for my mates to know Jesus. And I didn't care what I got called because all I wanted, to, all I wanted was for them to know about Jesus. And I want to get back to that place. Do you?
I want to get back to that place. I want to get to that place where I'm so, I'm so in love with God again, where I'm seeing the good news for what it is, when I'm so aware of how much I've been forgiven and how much God has done for me, that all I want to do is, is share with others his excellencies, that all I want to do is point people to the great high priest that is Jesus. That's what I want to do. So what I want to do right now is just to pray for us, so maybe we could just stand together. In a little while, we're going to sing. And there's going to be an opportunity to be prayed for. A number of people in the 9 o'clock service, we had a, well over a dozen getting prayed for. And it was people meeting with God in a big way. And I want to offer prayer. If you want to come back to your first love, as it were, so that you're passionate about Jesus, so that what spills out of your heart is, is declaring his excellencies. If you want to be in that place again, then in a, in a little while... Come and receive prayer. If you want to be, if you just want to be, just want to receive afresh that assurance that really that high priestly work is done. Maybe you're kind of doubting. Maybe you're doubting actually, am I really, is, am I really being, have I really been forgiven? Has my sin really been dealt with? If that's you, then again, come and receive prayer. Maybe you want a fresh anointing for the task. Maybe you just need that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Come and ask someone to pray with you and receive again of his spirit. Really, I believe God's going to do big things amongst us this morning. um, My expectations are high that God is going to do stuff amongst us. So should we just ask him together? Father God, we just ask that you would come now and fill us afresh with your spirit, that we would know a fresh anointing for this priestly task that you have for us. We want to know the Spirit of God in us, upon us, working through us. Lord, we know that we cannot do it on our own. We know that we're inadequate for the task. But with you, with the Spirit within us, we can do, uh, we can do incredible things for you. And Lord, we just thank you so much, Jesus, that you came to be our priest. And not only our priest, but our sacrifice. You the great high priest offered up your own life not a sacrifice of anything else but your own life and Lord Jesus we don't want to lose sight of the cross we know it's a victory ultimately we know that Jesus you rose victorious you defeated death and it will be destroyed one day we know that Lord but we don't want to lose sight of the cost we don't want to lose sight of all that it cost you taking upon our shame taking upon our sin and the punishment we deserve we don't want to lose sight of that help us to have that in in the forefront of our minds that we might so appreciate the cost and the love and that as we do that Lord you just bring about within us that passion that we maybe once had that has waned we want it back we want to make our whole lives about you we want to make our whole lives about declaring who you are Maybe you want to just lift out your hands before you. Just as a way of saying, God, these hands, these are consecrated to you. These are for your work. Why you want to say that under your breath or in your head or whatever you want to do. Just say, God, these are for you. I don't want to give them over to anything evil. I want to do your will. These feet, I want to consecrate these feet to you. They're set apart for you. I don't want to go anywhere that will dishonor you. I want to go to places to be a bringer of good news these ears, I don't want to lend these to stuff that's not helpful 
I want to consecrate them to you. These eyes, this tongue, I want to consecrate my whole body to you. I want to be a living sacrifice. Lord God, we so love you. We so love all that you've done in our lives. We think you're amazing. (laughs) We think you're absolutely amazing. We're not ashamed to say that we love you. There's men here as well. We're not ashamed to say, Jesus, we love you. We're not ashamed to say it. We love you, Lord Jesus. You're our saviour. You're our captain. You're our commander. You're our priest. You're our sacrifice. Jesus, you are everything to us. We love you, Lord. Come and do a work amongst us as we sing now. Come and touch hearts right across the room. Come and instill within us a passion for your name. Revive in us a zeal for your kingdom's purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. I want to pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord. I pray for anyone here who maybe has walked in and don't, don't really know why they're here. I pray that they would know now why they're here. It's to meet you. Pray, Lord God, you draw people to yourself right across this room now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.